Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 207 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Resourceful Healing, an interview with Nora Claire. Today is another special podcast interview with our special guest co-host, Ali Moresco. Nora talked to Ali and I on this podcast episode about all things healing, including a wide variety of non-traditional healing modalities she used throughout her journey. She talked to us about having to address heavy metals, candida, parasites, Lyme disease, and various co-infections. And she had to address each of these things individually using a lot of non-standard treatment protocols. She's made some great success and has got her life back. So if you're looking for an inspirational story, then this is the podcast episode for you. So without further ado, Nora Claire and Resourceful Healing. Hi, Nora. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like you're one person in the Lyme community that I have not had the pleasure to really connect yet. So I feel so lucky and like this was totally meant to be. First of all, I want to hear all about you. Where do you live? What do you do? What was your childhood like? Where did you grow up? Feel free to start with any one of those questions and we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah. So I live in Denver, Colorado, and I'm the co-founder of a social club called Archipelago. And we're really focused on creating, cultivating uh, experiences where people can meet new people and become a better version of themselves. So it's a huge part of my life, of course, as I started it. And um, we're going on, we're, we're over three years. So going on to four years now and just launched in Phoenix. And I grew up in Wethersfield, Connecticut, which is a small suburb outside of Hartford. And so lived in Connecticut up until I was 18. And then I went down to James Madison University in Virginia for college, very quickly became, you know, fell in love with a more slow country way of life, even though I never thought that I would. And, um, and then right when I graduated, I moved out West. And so I've been out West between Utah, California, and Colorado um, for the last 10-ish years. Oh, so beautiful. I love Utah. My husband and I got married there four years ago. So it just energetically and like all the trees and the mountains and like I live, we split our time between Nashville and Chicago and you just do not get the same air quality here. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. And especially right now in the fall, I'm at my friend's ranch. Um, it's about three hours from Denver and all the Aspens are turning. Uh, it's just quiet and really peaceful. And yeah, it's really nice. Gosh, I'm having a little um, like envy of you right now. <laughs> I'm like, just take the computer outside and show me. Um, so when you were growing up in Connecticut, which obviously is like a tick-borne disease hot spot, did you spend a lot of time outside? Did you ever get bit by a tick? I'm just I always like to ask people that live on the East coast or grew up on the East coast, I guess. Yeah. I spent a lot of time outside. Um, and I grew up going to camp. I grew up going to Hartford County for each camp, which was a huge part of my life. And I then was a counselor and a staff and that's where I actually got Lyme disease, but didn't know. Um, and so I knew about, you know, ticks and Lyme, but always never was never really concerned with it. You know, it was never something that anyone gave much like thought to or education around. They talked about it, like you'll get a rash and then you'll have a fever. And then that was really it. So um, that's why I didn't really, when I got bit and then I got the flu, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. When did you, I guess, when did you get bit? 
I got bit when I was 17. So going into my senior year of high school and I had other probably like tick bites along the way. Um, I remember like sitting in a tick nest when I was a kid at camp. Oh gosh. Oh gosh. But they didn't like latch on. They were just on me because I was able to get them off. Okay. Um, (laughs) But the bite, because I'm very, very sensitive. So yeah, I would have a tick on me I would feel it like immediately and I remember thinking like wow I'm so lucky that I am so sensitive and can yeah. feel like if something was on me it would never go days or something yeah and then when I did get bit it was actually it was right under my butt oh, and no. so I was like you know I was like oh gosh that's a really uncomfortable place for a mosquito bite and <laughs> and then after about a day at camp I like you know moved my butt butt cheek I was like oh darn it and went to the nurse and she it was a deer tick and she took it off and then I went on my way did you ever get a rash I didn't get a rash I got the flu the next week okay and did anybody think to like test you when you got the flu was there any kind of awareness around that no not at all in fact I was like I remember just being in my basement watching TV thinking like, Mm. this is weird that I like have the flu. And then the camp called me and was like, you did know, they were like, you did such a great job as a counselor last week. We'd love to have you. We had a counselor leave. We'd love to have you come back tomorrow. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Like this is here. So I went back. Oh gosh. And like finished out that week and was totally fine. Um, But then- within two months or about a month, actually, the symptoms started. Okay. And so you're having this amazing experience as a camp counselor, which you loved. You got bit by this tick. Nobody thinks to test you, of course, because there's such a lack of education, unfortunately, I think nationally, globally. Um, so I'm so appreciative, you know, to people like Matt and Rich for doing what they do at Tick Boot Camp and like you for sharing your story, because we certainly need more of this. Um, so... I guess after you started to develop symptoms, then how long did it take you to go on to finally get tested? I guess properly tested. Oh, 10 years. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it started with, it started with more like emotional things, like, mm-hmm. like more like this depression and sadness. And I think what's so interesting about, you know, I would say humans, but I'll just talk about myself is we can always like rationalize. And I was like, oh, like seasonal affectiveness disorder. Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm turning 18. I've read that people can start to develop different mental patterns when they turn, when they get older, like all of these things, it was one after the other, a symptom would show up and I would create some sort of rational thought that was based in, you know, something that made sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I did that for about, yeah, 10 years. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so sorry. I know it's so easy to explain things away. And I did that for about two years and still I, until I started losing my memory at 22. And then I was like, this is definitely not normal that I feel like I have the brain of an 85 year old, like something has to be off here. <laughs> right. Um, so I guess in the time, in those 10 years, how many doctors did you see to try to figure it out? 
Um, I didn't see a lot of doctors because I don't, I didn't, and still don't have a lot of faith in, in Western medicine. I do yeah. think it's amazing for like acute issues, like a broken arm or something like that. Absolutely. But I've always kind of been, and especially then as like a early twenties, like more anti-establishment kind of person. Yeah. So I'll preface with saying that. And I was always, I'm, I'm, I'm very self-assured. So I was always like, I can do this. I'll figure it out. I'll take care of my own health. And, and that's actually how I started to learn so much and get involved in herbalism, local food systems, growing my own food, like that kind of journey. So I actually didn't see any doctors until, um, until I started to get inflammation that was so intense that I was like, I need a prescription anti-inflammatory because I can't walk. Okay. And how did you finally, out of curiosity, like we were talking, like I was diagnosed with Lyme via like a couple of different tests. And then we were talking to Trish Baden yesterday. She was diagnosed with a spinal tap, which sounds horrible. Um, How did you finally get like, I guess, an actual diagnosis? Like, was it blood work? Was it something more intensive? Yeah, it was actually, and I should have called the doctor. I think I wrote it in my notes. It was this it sounds really woo woo, but they put like, it was like an electrode test. Girl, I co-host a podcast called slightly spiritual. My best friend's a medium. <laughs> so you're talking to the right person for woo woo. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. So it was a doctor. It was a doctor, um, in Beverly Hills and okay. he, my friend or a guy that I was like seeing a little bit, he had moved from actually New York all the way across the country to uh, California to Los Angeles to be treated by this doctor in Beverly Hills. Cause he was doing, okay. um, stem cell and all these kind of yeah. like, you know, newer age treatments for it. And so he was like, you know what, doctor owes me a favor, come out and we'll run this test on you. And, um, I couldn't afford it at the time I was farming yeah. and had never had a real, you know, legitimate paying job. Yeah. And so I did that test, which was like putting the electrodes on the inside of my leg, running my body through this computer for like, I don't know, it was like 10, 20 minutes. Yeah. And then I like popped up on the screen and it was like showing the inflammation and all the parts of my body that yeah. had it and showing the, the, you know, he showed that I had eight different co-infections at mm-hmm. one point. And, um, and they didn't give me that test information because I, it was a favor and I didn't pay for okay. it. So I never, yeah, so I never got it, but at least I had, okay. I, I already like knew I had Lyme in my knowing in my body and in my intuition yeah. and yeah. That, oh, yeah. that confirmed it. And, okay. um, and so then we went from there. Yeah. Energy is an amazing and powerful thing that like so many people don't realize. So I could talk to you for like five hours about this. <laughs> um, so I guess in that period, in those 10 years where like you had the symptoms, you were kind of just explaining it away logically, as I think, unfortunately, many people do. Um, I know you said you founded a company. I love talking to female founders. I'm a female founder myself. I think it's so badass. Um, what were your goals? I guess, like, what was your goal career-wise before you got your diagnosis or were you already working on building your company? Um, I wasn't already working on it, but it was interesting. I, I started like treatment right before I started it. Um, so I mean, goals career wise, to be honest, I, 
knew that I would be in events. Okay. But I didn't really have big career goals because I saw I didn't I didn't have a lot of like self-belief. And mm-hmm. I also had no interest in a nine to five or a corporate yeah. job. So I didn't really understand that you could like forge your own way. I didn't grow up with people being like, or my parents being like, you can do anything, go start your own thing. Like, you yeah. know, there was none of that. Um, so it, I, I didn't have big aspirations and yet I knew there was something like big within me. Um, and that I've had this kind of like leadership presence my whole life, whether I've wanted it or not. Yeah. Um, so, but it was really me deciding to start a treatment, move mm-hmm. to Denver, Colorado from Utah. Mm-hmm. And I said, I told myself, I was like, once I get my physical health back on track, like everything else is going to fall, like come into place. Like yeah. everything's going to fall into place. And that was the story that I chose to write. And so yeah. I was like, I'm getting my physical health right. And then I'm going to live my life. Yeah. So, and then I just followed that. So I guess in the beginning, when you were, when you started treatment and you were started working on your company, how did you balance like your symptoms with the pursuit of like your end goal? Cause I know for myself, I, even to this day, I struggle with it sometimes and I push myself too hard or like I'll have ozone or IVIG or whatever it is. And then I tell myself, okay, I'm not going to work today. And then like something happens and I'm like, okay, just this one time. And, you know, and then it's like, you just kind of keep snowballing from there. So how do you, I'm like, I need tips. How do you balance it? How do you make it work? Yeah, it can be really challenging. I think for me, I have, we have a small team, so I'm not just a solo entrepreneur or solopreneur, which is really helpful. Um, when I started my IV treatments, um, two of the men who I co-founded, like our, the social club and our company with, they, you know, financially helped support me in that, which was amazing. And then they knew, like, I would work really, really hard and and crush it um, a lot of the time. So I'm like, when I'm going for an IV, like the rest of the day, I'm not, I can't do anything, but then I would be back on. And yeah, I think it's really hard to actually take time away when I wouldn't say that I'm that I could give you that many tips. Created it. Um, We're both bad. We're both guilty. <laughs> yeah. But I think it really is learning and why I have been grateful for this journey is knowing when I'm coming up on my edge. I mean like, oh, I really got to like, I got to scale it back. I got to go to bed early. I need to take X, Y, Z. I need to go get a hydrating IV, whatever that is yeah. so that I don't go down for weeks. And yeah. that whole line of discernment has been like what I've learned over the last three, almost like four years. Yeah, I actually agree with that. And I like that you mentioned having the support of like a team and like one of the best things I did for myself was hire someone full-time to support me. And that takes a huge load out. And I think that's also a lesson that can be applied to those like in the thick of their illness or those that aren't focused on careers. Like it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to have support. Like we don't have to do it alone. We're only human. Definitely. You know, we're not, uh, we're not totally invincible. It's like, you're not a burden for asking for help. Your friends and family and everybody loves you. Um, I feel like I could just talk and talk and talk with you. So I'm going to throw it to Matt for a little bit. So he can maybe just get like one word in, but only one word. That's all (laughs) I'll ask. 
Allie, I didn't you learn yesterday that once I start talking, I don't stop talking. So just be aware. Feel free to interrupt <laughs> That's me. Enough if I'm going... That's enough words. That's enough words. I'm now. done, right? <laughs> You're done. You're done. <laughs> so Dora, talk to us more about your actual diagnosis, because it sounded pretty interesting. You described going somewhere as a, and, and somebody as a favor ran this testing for you, and it involved electrodes. So we don't hear about that kind of testing a lot. We hear a lot about traditional, you know, LabCorp or Quest Western blots and analysis. We hear about, you know, Igenics, which is probably the best lab out there in the world. We hear about DNA connections, Armin Labs, and, and some other labs like Galaxy Diagnostics for, for Bartonella, but we haven't heard much about this electrode testing. So can you talk to us more about what that was like and how it worked? Yeah, I mean, I will also definitely follow up so that you guys can link it um, and give them a ring, but it was Dr. Philip Batia, I think his name is in Beverly Hills. And I think because it was such a short thing and I didn't continue treatment because I couldn't afford it. I was like, okay, now I, now I haven't, you know, sometimes we like need the outsider to validate what we already know, obviously. And with, with medical. So it was, I mean, it was really symptom. It was, I mean, it was really simple. They really just hooked me up to this machine. They had things on the inside of my legs and then ran my body and then all of these different co-infections also popped up on the screen, which was wild. And I had a feeling too, it was like Rocky Mountain, um, you know, encephalitis. There were eight different ones. And I had been really ill in Ecuador um, with, with a lot of like what these symptoms were. I'd researched a lot of the co-infections and that kind of thing. So it was really interesting to see that, even though I can't and still can't explain exactly what that test was. Um, and I really wish that I had been able to get the printout because the printout, it was like a 40 page printout of this test. But again, because I didn't, you know, because it was a favor, I didn't get to have it. Um, and so I really just took the peace of mind of knowing, you know, I think a lot of us go through this thing that's like, I'm crazy. And everybody looks at me and says, you look so healthy. You look amazing. Like, what do you do for your skin? Whatever it is. And in my head, I'm like, I feel terrible and sick. I think that I might be insane. Um, and so that really helped give me peace of mind. So then I could go on to try some more affordable, you know, in like more natural or alternative treatments, because I was never going to do stem cell. That would, that was never felt in alignment for me. I also didn't even feel strong enough. Like my internal fire didn't feel strong enough to like go right into IV treatment. Um, none of that felt, I didn't feel ready for that yet. So Nora, talk to us about the fact that you knew you had a line before you got the testing and the testing just confirmed already what you knew before, right? So yeah. how did you know you had Lyme? Was this from your own research, from your own experiences about other people in your life who had Lyme disease? Where, where did that epiphany come from before you got this diagnostic testing done? Yeah, like previously mentioned, so I was kind of dating this guy who had Lyme disease. And we had met at an event um, at uh, Summit Series, uh, which is an event company that was based in Powder Mountain uh, in Eden, Utah. And so... I was kind of in that, you know, I'd been hearing about his treatment, just what he was going through, his symptoms, those kind of things. I, of course, meanwhile, have like now eight years of, of random weird symptoms that I don't have the answers to. And I was also really into, and still am, of course, like the spiritual and emotional healing and what that all means. 
And so I was like, okay, I'm creating this in my head from unresolved trauma. So I'm going to go out and try every alternative kind of thing that I can find that feels in alignment for me. Um, and so I went to a Chinese medicine practitioner in Salt Lake city and for cupping. And he, it was like a really long questionnaire and I filled out all this stuff and he's reading it and he looks at me and he's like, this doesn't add up someone your age with your like seemingly health and the minimal amount of like work stress. Cause I was farming at the time. It was like, you, sh- you shouldn't have these symptoms. I think you have a thyroid problem. And I was like, Oh, great. Like, yeah, women have thyroid issues all the time. Like my mom takes medicine for that. I didn't really know anything about it, but I was like, okay, I can, I can handle that. We do the cupping session and then I'm driving home to eat in. It's about an hour drive. And I start to get really emotional. And so I'm crying and I'm like, oh my God, it's working. Like (laughs) I'm alleviating some trauma for my body. And then I was like, oh my God, I have Lyme disease. And I just knew it in that. And it sounds, and that was really it. And I trust my gut. And then I look over and I look at my phone and the guy who I'm seeing who has Lyme is calling me. And so I pick up the phone and I'm like, Hey, how are you doing? And then I'm like, so how did you know you had Lyme disease? And there's this really long pause. And he says, what are your symptoms? And then I tell him and he's like, oh my God, come out to LA and I'm going to get you this test. And that was really how it went. So do you think that you mentioned that you were a farmer as well? And obviously you had that take bite experience where you had the summer flu. And of course, no doctor thought a summer flu is strange. And and because you never had a rash, they didn't think any further of it. But beyond that, do you think you were bit other times and you were, you you were infected on various occasions because you were in high risk areas, like, you know, being a farmer and, and doing things like, like maybe hiking and going into areas where ticks are more prominent. Yes. So I never found another tick like latched on, but there were times of the year, specifically one time of year farming in Virginia in like the blueberry patch, which I do like to say that I'm the fastest blueberry picker I know. Um, I was pulling off five plus ticks a day. And just like from my clothes, from my legs, like they weren't, again, they weren't latched on, but they were there. There was a lot of them. So I'm not, I'm not really sure if I was reinfected, but I was definitely had a lot of exposure just being between Connecticut and Virginia for the first 22 years of my life. Especially being in Connecticut, the, you know, the origin or the discovery of the Lyme bacteria. So once you had this positive test and now it confirmed your suspicions that you had Lyme disease after this cupping session and, and talking to your boyfriend at the time, what did you do to actually treat the disease? Did you go on a self-discovery journey or did you follow up with a Lyme litter doctor or another practitioner to help you treat the, treat the disease? Yeah, I went on a self-discovery journey and, you know, that's a wormhole. So I was doing that and on the internet, like calling my parents and my parents were very much like, okay, like we don't you know, you seem fine. And like, you don't really think. And that of course was not helpful. And, um, so I did that for about a year and because also because I'm really into herbalism and alternative medicine. So I thought like, I can do this on my own. I also, again, like didn't have any money. There was no savings. There was nobody else supporting me. So, um, I tried that. I tried taking 
all sorts of different herbs, what I was reading online about different Chinese medicine herbs, but you know, I was young and it was hard and I was living a very alternative lifestyle, moving from one place to the other for like farm work and going down to Latin America. And so it wasn't until like for, for another year that I was like, I need to go see someone. And then my friend um, Jody put me in touch with Dr. Linda Lancaster in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that's when I that's when I started working with her and really began my journey working with doctors. So a couple of follow-up questions on that. Do you think that due to your travel, especially to, to Central America and South America and, and other parts of the, of the country, that it's possible you picked up some sort of parasitic infection as well and that that was, was working together with the tick-borne illness? I, so yes, but I also think that we can get parasites anywhere. And so like across the, the US for sure, there's definitely, we can get parasites. So I will say that that's my, my personal belief. Um, but yeah, most definitely. I mean, I got, I got extremely ill in one of the times that I was in Ecuador and so ill that I was legitimately contemplating like if my life had been worth it. Like I was, there was nothing going, I was so, so sick. It seemed like typhoid symptoms and Giardia at the same time. Um, and I was in Tena, Ecuador, which is this small town outside of that kind of like leads to the jungle. I was living in this, in a Hare Krishna commune. I qu- quickly left because I was so ill. Um, but yes, most definitely picked up some other, some other things. Did you, did you see any doctors at Nora? So you, when you were that sick and you, this is, this was in the middle of your, your tenure window, it sounds like. Yep. Did you seek any medical guidance from, from the local community where you were? Um, I should have. And I would recommend that anyone who was as ill as I was to have gone to see someone, um, especially because it's affordable there and easy. And I am defiant, I guess, and sometimes don't act the, the, with a lot of, I don't know, intelligence. So I actually went from the jungle. I was like, I got to get out of this climate. This is not the climate for me. I'm just like perpetuating this sickness. So I went to another intentional living community about an hour and a half North of Quito. I was so, so ill. And I just started to sleep a lot and make, I actually said this, I said, if I don't feel better in a week, I'm going to the doctor. And that's all there is to it. I'm going. And so I then got to that intentional living community and started making, there's no electricity or anything. So I would grind up cloves, cinnamon, and then eat, started eating tons of raw garlic. And so I was eating, drinking these teas, just so much of these teas daily and eating the raw garlic, sleeping a lot. So it's like staying away from everyone and sleeping. And I started to get my health back and feel better. Um, and I never had to go to the doctor. And within, within a couple of weeks, I was like back to dancing and cooking and running around and gardening and doing all these things. So that was actually pretty remarkable. And also I wouldn't recommend that people do that. But Nora, you're, I think you're being a little too hard on yourself because you were <laughs> in your early 20s. I know. You, you know, like we all do, you think, I'm just going to feel better. I'm invincible. I'm not going to get sick. Yeah. I'm not going to stay sick. So of course, you know, you, you did what you did and then you yeah. felt better you know, a week later. Yeah. But what's, what was very interesting is that you were almost self-treating yourself intuitively for Lyme disease. Cause you know, like, like 
high concentration of garlic is used in a lot of natural protocols for Lyme disease. And a lot of the herbs that you were just naturally taking in these teas were helping you probably address the root cause. And then of course, sleep is really important as well. So your body was healing likely at that point. And then you felt better because you were young and had a healthy immune system. And you were having this back and forth of, of, of the, you know, the, the sickness and then your immune system and your, your, your body was still fighting at that point. It sounds like. Right. Yeah. And like the clove, you know, clove, I stand by clove. I mean, it's just so, so potent, so strong. And if you have a parasite, like I recommend taking clove. And so I think that that was really, really helpful. And then also I'll, I'll mention that like, I was in really good spirits. Like I was really happy to be where I was and to be having these new experiences and to be in the fresh air in the mountains in Ecuador. And so that was really helpful that I had that, you know, that like, that, that levity and that brightness um, surrounding me. So the other question I want to ask you is, and this may be a little too much TMI, but we've talked about parasites a little bit and parasites are often talked about in the community. Did you ever pass a parasite that was visible? Did you ever like, like have proof of, of having a parasite? Yeah. So I feel that I've had both like the microscopic parasites as well as like ones you can see. And so I never had like a tapeworm or anything, but I had like, yeah, like small worms for sure. Multiple times, no problem talking about it. <laughs> and that was even before your diagnosis. That was while you were trying to figure out what was going on before you knew you had Lyme disease. That, that was when I, no, when I, when I knew, once I knew and I started. Um, so once you started hitting it hard and treating, they started coming out. Right. So the other question I want to ask is, um, obviously now in, in Colorado, did you ever join up with the Colorado Lyme Association? I mean, I just attended a, a group of theirs this past Saturday, and there's some really uh, smart, informed people in that group that have helped a lot of people in the community. So I'm just curious if you ever crossed paths with that group throughout your, your journey. Honestly, I haven't. Um, when I moved to Colorado and I started to, like, you know, I'll say, like, put my head down and, like, get healthy and then start the company, that was, like, what my life's revolved around. And at the time I had this idea that people with Lyme and in the chronic health community had a lot of victim mentality. And so I didn't want to engage with it. And, um, and so I didn't, even though that's not the full truth, that was what I believed at the time. Yeah. And or to be fair, and this may be a trigger warning, but, but some people in the Lyme community do have that victim, victim mentality. So I think that you probably had some exposure to people that left a bad taste in your mouth. And that's probably why you, you felt the way you did. Is that what you think happened? Yeah. Yeah. And just seeing, just seeing stuff that was like written online and I know how easy it is to fall into that spiral. And I knew that if I wanted to get healthy, I couldn't be engaging in that. Which brings us back to your whole mindset concept that you always had a positive outlook despite how you were feeling, which was a part of the reason you rebounded so quickly in your 20s as you were struggling back and forth. And you, you brought that positive mindset forward when you got a diagnosis to say, I can't have that negativity. I have to have positive, a positive mindset to be able to heal my body. So do you think, you know, some people think that mindset is, is not that important. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you think that without a positive mindset, you wouldn't be where you are today? And again, I'm not saying to people listening that it's just change your mindset and you're going to heal. But, you know, I personally believe it's an important part of the healing process that has to be 
a part of your, your treatment protocol. And if you don't have that, it's either going to slow down or slow, slow down your healing journey or not allow you to get to where you could be potentially as far as your health is concerned. Right. I think it's exactly that. Like we're not reaching our fullest potential if we're not also incorporating our emotional and spiritual healing. And that was just key for me. And I also want to be clear that it's not like I didn't wake up every day like, yeah, life is perfect. And like, like I'm actually not a hype person. Like I'm not, <laughs> that's not my personality. Um, and there were extreme lows and rock bottoms and the knowing of when I was in that rock bottom to know that like, oh, right. I'm in a rock bottom. Here's my perspective. I'm seeing this. I'm going to get out of this. And then I'm going to flourish and thrive. And then at some point else in my life, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, I will hit another rock bottom and I will have this kind of, um, you know, stress exposure to it. So I already know what this is like, and I will come out of that again. So, um, you know, some people don't like the word faith, um, and I'm not a religious person, but I am very spiritual person. And I had that faith. Um, and just that inner knowing, like these are the ebbs and flows of life as a human on this planet. And I'm going to engage and it's going to be painful and there's going to be tears and there are going to be days where, you know, I can't or don't get out of bed. And then I am going to get out of bed and keep and do this. So I think there's a lot to unpack there, especially the fact that I'm, and I'm glad you, you clarified that it wasn't always positive. You had days where you were a wreck, you'd cry, you'd be an emotion, emotional, but you'd always say, I'm going to bounce back. And then you'd always go back to saying, I'm going to get out of this. I will thrive. And you always came back to that healing mindset and you didn't stay in that low place that you were in. So do you think that there are a lot of people out there that, that, are, that are putting this perceptive of constant positivity in the chronic illness community? And a lot of people respond, especially offline to us at Tick Bootcamp, that, that per, that's not real. You can't be that way. So I think what you're portraying is, is probably, well, is, in, in my opinion, the real reality of, of what a proper mindset should be to heal from chronic illness like this. You have to accept that you're not going to be positive 100% of the time. You can't stay in that, in that part that you're in. And we always like to identify these patterns for success in healing. And our guest last night that we, Ali and I interviewed had this almost identical statements that you said, I'm going to get better. I'm not going to stay sick. And by saying those things over and over and over, it allowed her to keep moving forward and take steps to heal instead of just getting stuck and staying in her sick state. So do you think that is another critical part of, of what you went through to keep that drive to move forward, to heal, despite all of the hurdles and obstacles and ups and downs you experienced throughout your journey? Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's also, you know, you, I think that people are right. There's, there's no way that we're positive, like all the time. And there's this like line I talk about sometimes with my friends where we it's feeling your emotions and being in it, but not sitting in it for an extended period of time. So like feeling the sadness, feeling whatever those like dense emotions are, but then making the choice to not stay there because we can very easily stay there. Um, and that's where we have choice. And that's empowering to say that we have choice feel everything, move forward. So Nora, talk to us more about your symptoms leading up to your diagnosis. So you, you talked to us earlier on about what you experienced, but how did your symptoms regress over that 10 year window and how sick were you before you got diagnosed? Yeah, so yeah, it started with the kind of like more emotional things. Then it was a lot of 
stomach and like digestive upset. And um, honestly, it got to the point where just after senior, like senior year of college and, and then just after I was throwing up multiple times a week just from like eating. And that was before the gluten-free thing was common knowledge or that's something you should try, especially in Virginia. And so when I moved to Colorado, I start working at a brewery and pizza place. And then I'm very quickly, I'm like, I think I'm like, I, I learned about being gluten-free and I was like, oh no, is this something I should try? So I did. And I started to feel really bad. So it was all these like incremental things that I'd be like, oh, okay. Like I'm feeling better. And then I wasn't feeling better. And so it was really the, when I got to the point of chronic fatigue and exhaustion that I couldn't stand for more than six hours a day that I, you know, I went from working on a farm where I felt good at like 10, 10 hour days or, or sometimes more in the high season to, you know, two seasons later, not being, not being able to stand for half of that. Um, and feeling so chronically, like there was nothing going, it felt like there was nothing going on behind my eyes. And I would have to like fake caring about conversations because I just like didn't have anything there. Um, so it was really at that point of the not being able to stand, I was sleeping 10, 12, sometimes 14 hours and still needing to take naps. That was when I was like, there's something wrong. And the, honestly, the thought crossed through my mind, like maybe I have cancer. I don't like what's going on here. You know, I'm 20, three, 24, I, sh I shouldn't be feeling like this. And that's when I, that's like when I went to that Chinese medicine practitioner and like, did you do like everything kind of fell into place from there, but it had to get to the point of me, like being physically incapacitated, um, to really, really take notice. Nora, talk to us more about the emotions. Cause you mentioned that towards the end of this 10 year window, you would just have, there'd be nothing behind your eyes and you had a fake emotions. We've had a lot of people tell us in the past that they had to relearn as a heel to feel emotions again. Meaning like, what is happiness? What is sadness? What is all these various emotions that we used to understand? And she actually bought an emotion wheel. So when she had a certain reaction, she would look at the wheel to figure out what is she feeling? Because she was just so, she couldn't, couldn't fathom or process these feelings that were, were gone for so long before she started to get better. So describe for us what that's like. I think it's a hard topic to describe about having to fake those sort of emotional responses when you're so sick. Yeah, um, that's fascinating, the wheel thing. Wow. And, you know, for me, like, I've never really been, like, an extremely, like, exuberant person. So, it's hard to kind of say, like, it's not like I was someone who was like, was like that. And then all of a sudden I wasn't. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been a journey to, to come back into those emotions. And I still think that sometimes I don't because I want to preserve my energy and whether it's conscious or subconscious, like I, I feel like I'm still doing that. Um, and I've done, you know, quite a bit of different trainings and yoga trainings and, and trauma work. And there's, there's, that's, it's really interesting to me how that's like really intertwined too, how we can just kind of like shut down and not be able to express what it is or how we're feeling. So I feel like I'm still definitely working through and unpacking that. And that could be a, a lifelong journey. So talk to us more about 
once you got diagnosed and you had that one year self-discovery, you mentioned you did a ton of research online and I'm sure you came into the Lyme Wars and all of the conflicting information. What kind of, what kind of self-treatment did you do in that one year window before seeing Dr. Lancaster? I was just, I was taking a lot of different herbs. So, you know, I was reading about Chinese medicine herbs. So I ordered a bunch of Chinese medicine herbs and was trying that. Um, I don't know. I, there was no like specific protocol. I was kind of just like, kind of like what you were saying in my early twenties and just throwing paint at the wall, spaghetti at the wall being like, let's try, let's try all of it. And, um, and so it was, it was really just herbs and then the continuing to do emotional and spiritual work, um, that I had been doing and yeah, we're doing that. And did any of that really help in that first year? Were there any herbs that you felt were helpful that, that are noteworthy to share with our listeners? Or really, was it just sort of nothing really helped you? And then that's why you decided to take the next step. Yeah, it was honestly like nothing really helped. I think the, the journey of the um, like emotional and spiritual work I was doing was helpful. And again, I would try these things and feel like better for a certain period of time, but then not like combo is one of them um, that I, that I tried in when I was in Ecuador and I felt better for a little while and then didn't. Um, so it really wasn't until I started working with Dr. Linda that I, that I noticed profound shifts. And then, you know, also sometimes when I would have big pain flare-ups, so I had sciatic pain, um, multiple times and then pain in my toes. And I still do get that. And it's interesting. I'll, I get it also like a lot in October, it's like the same month that it flares up. Um, I would just go to emerge like emergent care and get them to give me or like prescribe me prescription anti-inflammatories because I didn't want pain meds because I don't mess with pain meds or anything like that. Um, and that would help for that like acute pain that was like so distracting to the point where I couldn't live my life. So let me ask you a an interesting question because I used to think some things like, like in, anti-inflammation medication were band-aids that were just covering up the root cause. But I had a guest challenge me several months ago and say, they're not band-aids, Matt, they're bridges, meaning they're bridges mm-hmm. to help you get to where you need to be. And if you don't address those things, your body's going to spiral and get the pain would get worse and worse and worse. And you have to stop the pain so you can then bridge yourself to a healing state. So how did you, how do you view and how did you view those types of things like anti-inflammatory medication? Did you think they were just band-aids or did you really look at them as a, as a tool to help you to, to get to a healing state? Definitely as a tool. Um, and again, that's why I wanted to take like stronger anti-inflammatories and nothing that, that really messed with my cognitive ability. Um, because again, it was just that like the pain, like I could think about nothing and I have like a high, I have a high pain tolerance. Like I will say that. And when this pain in my sciatic and my toes were so strong there, I couldn't do anything else. I was just fixated on it. And like, that's how the, you know, the brain, like that's, that's what's happening. So I feel like it was such a tool for me um, so that I could then focus on my healing. And also the fact that we have to live our lives. So like I had to be working a job and, you know, doing these things in the, in the real world and without those, that prescription, those prescription anti-inflammatories wasn't really an option. Right. And I think beyond that, your brain gets stuck in those pain loops and then you right. get stuck more and more in a fight or flight state. And it's right. so much harder to come out of that the longer you're in it. And you needed that bridge to, to, to stop that. So I think that was a really great way to describe it. 
So you did mention combo that you tried on your own mm-hmm. prior to going to um, Dr. Lancaster. And, and I'm super interested in combo. So we had Ali Hilviger talk to us in great detail about it. And Emily Levy, who we interviewed, who's the, um, the founder of Mighty Well, did as well. And they, they experienced great benefit from it. So can you talk just a little bit about what that experience was like for you? And did you experience any sort of relief or benefit at all from it? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, combo is like one of the more intense things I've ever done. And, um, I actually did it in May. I did three sits in a moon cycle and I hadn't done it in two years from there. So it's, I definitely feel it relieves, like it relieves some of my symptoms while I was in Ecuador that first time I did it. Um, and it was really more of like on the brain like my mental clarity, that's like where I feel it most. So like, obviously you're getting this like intense and epic physical purge. Um, The last- I'm sorry, Nora, can you describe that? What is that intense physical purge? Can you, I I don't mean to, there's no such, there's no such thing as too much information here. So if you can give us some detail about that. Yeah, so um, with combo and like combo ceremony, you drink a lot of water and you haven't eaten ideally for about 12 hours. And then you get the um, dots put on you, which is like a light burning of the skin. And then they put the, the frog sebum on these dots. And then you start to get this like real, it's, not, it's like if you've ever taken niacin, you know, that flushing, that yes. like, the warmth you get. It's like that 10x at least. <laughs> and so you start to get really, really flushed, your heart is beating really fast, and then you're throwing up or purging the other way or sometimes both. And that for me lasts about 10, 15 minutes. And the people who I've sat combo with leave the dots on for 20. There's a lot of different um, ways to sit with combo and there are many different indigenous traditions. So I can't speak to all of them but that's been my experience. And what, what's, you said the main goal is really for your brain. So is this more for the, the mental health and psychological impacts of Lyme disease or does this actually help with the brain fog? And what, in what ways did it help your brain? Yeah, it helped me with brain fog and to feel more clear. And then in May I did it because I intuitively, intuitively felt like I needed some work on my liver. Like I needed some liver clearing. And, um, and so it, it felt like it helped for that, just, just all around. And, um, you know, combo was used again, I'm not an expert, but combo was used. Um, it's a warrior medicine. And so it would be used before hunting, um, and to really clear purge the body and to strengthen it and fortify it. Because again, like so many of these things we're going through this, you know, one of my business partner calls it like stress inoculation. When you have those experiences and then you come through them, like, oh, like I am, I feel inherently stronger now. And like, I can take on more and like, I can work through this. And so that's what combo also, I feel like it does for a lot of people just in that mental realm of, of what they can do. They, they thought in the middle of that purge, I can, I can't do, I can't do this. I can't, whatever it is. And then they do. And then they have, then they come on the other side and they're like, wow, I can do more than I ever thought I could. So do you think that combo was, was beneficial in your healing journey or is it something that you regret doing at that time? No, I think it's it definitely beneficial. Um, but I think it's also not for everyone. 
it's very intense. Right. So now let's fast forward a little bit. So now you're, you're not giving the results that you want and you decide to go see Dr. Linda Lancaster and pivot over to the treatment protocol with this doctor. So what was that experience like and what kind of treatment did you get with Dr. Lancaster? Right. So, um, yeah, I went there. This was like towards a rock bottom part of my life. So I had just finished a contract, uh, my first big contract for an event with Summit Series. And my boyfriend and I at the time, we had been together for a year and living together in Utah, breaking up. I packed up my van. I was like, I'm going to move to Denver. And on the way, I'm going to go to Santa Fe and see this doctor because I'm just like at my wits end. And so I drove there um, by myself and I sat down in her chair and she does, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Dark scope. My microscopy. Yep. Yes. So she does that. And so I had already sent that in and along with like all the paperwork and everything like that. And she, you know, she's also, I think she's a New Yorker. She just tells it straight up. Oh, she must be awesome if she's a New Yorker. Oh, she's awesome. And she just sits across from me and is like, and tells me like almost everything that this other like super high tech test had told me, as well as saying you have a lot of heavy metal in your system. And I was like, what? And she was like, first we're gonna work on, we need to get, and she knew and so did I, like this internal fire to get that stronger. So she's like, first we're gonna deal with the active parasites that are in your system. And then we're going to move on to the extraordinary amount of candida you have in your system. And then we can address the metals, but that's the order that we're going to go in. And so we went from there. She started me on the milk cleanse, um, which sounds wild and is. And so the milk cleanse is eight days of drinking nothing but milk. And it has to be an animal milk. So it can be camel, it can be bison, it can be cow. Ideally, it's an A2 milk because, you know, data and science has shown us that A2 milks like a, like A2 cow or goat, which is an A2 milk is more easily digestible by humans. Um, and then you're taking these specific supplements um, to clear the body out. So it's eight days of milk and then followed by actually 14 days of continuing with the supplements but very clean diet. So no, no dairy, no gluten, no sugar, no processed foods, obviously no alcohol. Um, you really want to focus on clean proteins and vegetables, taking the supplements. So it's really, you know, a full 22 day reset from, and then from there I stayed on that diet and we integrated different herbs for my liver for continuing to clear the body and to work on the really high amount of candida that I had. So the, the milk cleanse was for parasites. It sounds like, cause that was what you were addressing first, correct? Right. And it just seems so bizarre to me because we've heard a lot about the milk cleanse. We've heard a lot of people have success with it, but it just seems so weird because milk is dairy and dairy creates inflammation. And we we're always told as Lyme patients that dairy is so bad for you. Right. So like how, how can you describe for our listeners why this is beneficial for your health to do a milk cleanse? Cause it, again, it just seems so odd that something that we're told to stay away from actually helped you heal in your, in, in your journey. And clearly it did. Right. So how did that help you? Right. I don't think it's as simple to say that like 
dairy equals inflammation necessarily. And I think a lot of people would argue me on this. So no worries on that. Um, I think that there are a lot of cultures in the world who have valued dairy and milk as a healthful, full nutrient rich food for thousands of years. And again, what's so interesting is like, I'm not a milk drinker in my day-to-day life. I don't even really eat cheese. I don't buy cheese. I might have it if like somebody has a charcuterie board out, but, um, I, that's also why I really am a proponent of these A2 milks, um, which are, you know, science is showing like, aren't inflammatory or as inflammatory. I'll also preface this with saying like, if you have a milk allergy, like this is not for you, you know, like obviously. Um, so, you know, just like if, you know, there's so many, there's so many tangents I could go on, but I won't. Um, so that's why like, I'm a proponent of it. I also really love like being in, you know, before I was co-founded this company and was doing the events world, I was in farming. So I saw a lot of like very high quality, you know, dairy products, butters, milks, that kind of thing. And people who were consuming those products who you look at and you're like, they're a vision of health. (laughs) So I think that like so many things, life and our own personal health is multifaceted. Um, So I think it is very person dependent. And it is also why I'm a big proponent of the, the A2 cow or the goat milk. Um, there are people who love camel milk. I've never tried it, so can't speak to it. What's so interesting about what you just said is the fact that you go to the grocery store and you buy milk off, you know, out of the, out of the refrigerator, it's probably got a ton of crap in it. And, and that may not be so good for you, but you're talking about pure milk from the farm. And it makes me think about something Allie was talking about last night on our last podcast episode, that if she eats bread here, and with gluten, it's really bad for her. But if she goes to Europe, she can eat a baguette and not have any symptoms because the, the, the quality of the ingredients is so pure in Europe compared to the States that her body allows her to have it without having a negative impact. And I think the same is probably true in what you're describing, Nora, that pure milk from the farm is so much different than milk from a grocery store. If you go into like a local, a local stop and shop or something to buy it, is that, is that something you think is fair and maybe why people have this misconception that milk is bad for you? Definitely. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on what I like for regenerative farming and and my thoughts there. Um, But there's this quote that's also says like, you are what you eat eats. So if you are consuming dairy or meat, like you are what they're eating. So no, it's not the same to have milk that's from cows that are corn fed their whole life in stalls and being pumped full of, you know, all sorts of drugs essentially than a cow that's, or a goat that's out grazing that's eating grass, that kind of, it's a totally different, we can't even, I mean, people want to have that argument. I'm like, I can't even go there with you because I think we just fundamentally see and live life and perceive the world in in very different ways. So I don't know if you know the answer to this, but if you can talk to us about how the milk cleanse actually works. Does it, does it help clear the liver? Does it help clear the GI tract of parasites? Because you mentioned that it is for anti-parasitic protocol. What does it actually do to help the body rid parasites? Yeah. So I, again, I always like preface it to, to have people work with their healthcare provider first and that there's no science on this. So I can't actually say this is exactly what it's doing. The concept behind it is that the milk is drawing out parasites 
and then you're hitting them with these, these herbs, these anti-parasitic herbs that are then clearing them from the body. And then we continue with this really clean diet to help balance the system. Um, and then also for, for me, that really clean diet helps with, um, working through candida because a lot of people with Lyme and other co-infections, obviously our systems have gotten so out of whack that candida, which is found in our, um, digestive tract normally, and isn't a bad thing if it's in balance has gotten so far out of whack that Dr. Linda looked at me and she was like, I can't tell you if the symptoms you have right now are from Lyme or what we know of Lyme or candida because your candida number is so high. But she was like, I usually see a number that's a cause for concern. You have more than double that number. So we need to work through both of these things. So we did. So Nora, my, my final question before I hand this back over to Ali is you mentioned after the milk cleanse that your doctor, um, Dr. Lancaster wanted to then look at the, the candida and then the heavy metals. So what did you do beyond the milk cleanse? What specific herbs and supplements and treatments did you do to address the candida and the heavy metals? And how did you feel after that at doing all those treatments compared to how you were before you got diagnosed? Yeah. So I stayed on that. No, like that, that candida diet essentially, which is clean proteins, vegetables for five months. And like, I did it really hardcore to the point where I wouldn't necessarily again, recommend it because my Herx reactions were so intense that I, I was like, thank God I'm unemployed because like, there's no way that I could work right now. Um, and so she, I, I'll have to look at my, my treatment, but she makes a lot of her own remedies. And so it's a lot of like bitter herbs, like bitter roots, like all the things to support, you know, cause we're doing a detox. We need to be supporting our detox pathways as well as our liver and kidneys, like to the nth degree. So it was a lot of that, um, as opposed to necessarily just like things that kill candida. It was like, we need to be supporting the body as it you know, is going to inevitably go through this Herx reaction. Um, and then from there, I felt, I felt so much better. So that was April, 2018. I was like, I felt like I had a new lease on life. My brain had come back online. It was remarkable. I was sleeping eight hours a night, waking up on my own. Like I, this was stuff I couldn't even have imagined before. And, um, it was then another a year until I decided to address the heavy metals. And then I started working with doctors in Colorado for that. I, I'm so happy you talked about not only addressing the candida and like doing the things that kind of knock these diseases out, but also building up the body and supporting the body. Cause I think so often we hear like kill, 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 and not enough about support of like the kidneys and about all these other like critical functions of the body. Right. Um, and it's not all about just trying to get your, not trying to get yourself to Herx, but like trying to kill things off. If that makes sense. It's like, mm -hmm. you can't have one without the other. It's not exclusively kill by and sweat it also has to be like kill bind sweat but support <laughs> totally yeah it's it's so key and so I was taking detox baths I was doing saunas yeah. I had been eating organic and using organic products on yeah. like my skin and body since I was 22 years old so the doctors knew that so like that yeah. was another thing like my protocol was because 
I had, I was living a certain way. Whereas like Mm -hmm. I've since come to know, like when I started my IVs, we were able to get me on the IVs right away that were four chelating metals where so many other people need to go through six IV treatments, just of detox pathway clearing because they're not in the place to like be flushing metal into their system. Um, And so that's like a really interesting thing that I learned on my journey too, is that that's, that's key. Like we have to have our detox pathways clear. We have to be supporting them. And that means a lot of lifestyle changes. Um, So obviously all of this is lifestyle changes, but it's like when I was doing heavy metal chelation, which I started working with um, an amazing doctor in Denver um, in his practice is thriveology. And so he was running, he ran, basically I was like, okay, I want to get more like tests. Like I want to do the blood work ready. You know, I want to do all the things, all the things. And he told me what Dr. Linda had told me. In fact, he was like, you have more lead in your system than I've ever seen any patient in over 20 years. And he was like, I don't know how you're functioning right now. And he was like, your mercury is also through the roof. And I also had like cadmium, arsenic, a few others. And, um, that was kind of, that was shocking for sure. I just didn't like, they were literally, it was the numbers were off the charts. And at the same time, I was like, okay, I can do this. I switched to a practice in Boulder strictly because of finances. Dr. Carrie yeah. Ballas in Boulder, um, she was doing the IVs for heavy metal chelation and I could afford them. So I started okay. going to her and, you know, I was getting IVs once a week starting in July, 2019, all the way through okay. December, 2019 to get rid of the metals and while I was doing that of course that means eating extremely well no Mm -hmm. partying no alcohol Mm -hmm. saunaing or you have to you have to be sweating or peeing the metal out so that means like I had to be working out hard every day or or saunaing and so it was making time for that and then um by December I got some numbers back that were really like looked really good again I felt so much better and then throughout 2020, I would just do like one IV or so a month to keep it going. And I stopped IVs maybe six months ago, maybe a little bit longer. I still have metal in my system. It's very bound up. So in one way, that's like good because I'm not necessarily experiencing a lot of associated symptoms. There's only one agent that like will unlock and flush it in and I just felt like at this point in my journey I needed a break from IVs and from like mm-hmm. from that and so and now I've just been I've just been kind of like out of treatment but I still do detoxes I just did a milk cleanse about a month and a half ago and I do I still do the milk cleanse at least once a year usually twice just for maintenance okay. yeah um, maintenance reset clearing any, like if I have any candida, I'm definitely like a, you know, a sugar addict. And that will always be the <laughs> one thing that I have to, to work on more than alcohol or anything else. So hey, we all have our stuff, right? Yeah, we've got our vices. So sugar is yeah. one. I'm like, it's just going to be this one day. And then I have like a full blown six day relapse, but oh, God. Um, yeah, 
So I've just been kind of taking a break from treatment and uh, might go back, you know, to address those additional metals, but I feel, I feel pretty good right now. So I'm just going to knock wood. Yeah. Well, I think that through your, your story and sharing your journey, and then I have a few more questions to bug you with. Um, what I'm hearing is that like, I always like to talk about Lyme disease, tick-borne disease and dressing it as like peeling an onion. It's like, mm-hmm. there's so many steps and there's so many points along the way. And um, it's like accepting that that's okay to be on that journey and you know as you peel one layer off something else comes up and you address it and you just keep hacking away at it and um you know like I've certainly taken treatment breaks in my journey and sometimes we have to do it and it's okay and like I talk to their patients sometimes and they're like I feel like I'm failing when I have to do that I'm like no you have to live your life like you have to do what you have to do to like keep yourself mentally in a good place because it's just as important you know as the physical um So I loved hearing your story and it sounds like you've gone through such like a beautiful transformation. Um, And I'm curious to know, like, I literally would not wish Lyme disease on my worst enemy, but I do think like we were saying in the beginning, it makes you a better person. It makes you realize what's truly important in life. And I guess like, what has your Lyme journey taught you along the way? Yeah. I mean, I think Lyme has definitely like made me a, a better person, person, um, you know, in a lot of different cultures and especially in like shamanism, they think of illness as an initiation and how we like work through that and come out on the other side is like very telling of, of the life we will live and lead in this, in the, in the world. And so I think about that a lot as well. Um, and just knowing like, I am not the only one experiencing this is very helpful and that like, I'm not a victim. This is here so that I can like come through and serve and be in service and serve a higher, you know, purpose in my life. Um, and that like so many other people who face different types of adversity, this Mm. is, this contributes to our resilience. Um, absolutely. And so we keep moving forward with that, with the resilience and I I feel empowered by that and Mm -hmm. I feel like proud in a way you know like I'm resilient and I will get through this and we will get through this and I can help other people through whether it's Lyme or something else that's heavy or dense that's going on in their life Mm -hmm. um, because I've had this experience and I've had to work through it so yeah it's definitely a journey and it will continue to be a journey and there will be you know things that I have to do that maybe aren't convenient or that I like, but it's all, it's all part of it. And it sounds like what I think is so cool about you and what I give you so much credit for is that it really sounds like you're using kind of like this newfound, like these gifts and this mental clarity, like really to serve others and help others, which I think it takes a really special person to do that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think like we're all in this together and I think that's why I, I really love the the spiritual and emotional healing aspects and in, in life and that we can do as community and in community healing. I think that that's just 
so, so key in this whole mm-hmm. <clears throat> process of also getting our physical bodies, you know, online, mm-hmm. all interconnected. And I just feel Absolutely. so like, I feel so curious about all of that, especially mm-hmm. growing up in a, in a society and in a part of the world that didn't teach that. And that, yeah. you know, that wasn't part of common knowledge. And now more and more we're like, oh yeah. um so matt and rich gave me free reign to ask whatever last question i wanted um so my question for you is if you could share a meal with anyone dead alive fiction non-fiction whoever it is who would it be and why this is so hard, but the, my immediate thought <laughs> was John O'Donohue, who was an okay. Irish poet and philosopher. He's oh. passed. And um, I'm Irish. My mom's an Irish immigrant. And yeah. his poetry and prose and philosophy is just astounding and so beautiful. And his relationship with the natural world and with nature on the west of Ireland it just speaks to like my soul. Like I would just love like sitting down with him in front of a roaring fire and sh- oh my God, it would be amazing. So yeah, I would say John. Can I come? <laughs> yes, you can. And his book um, is my favorite thus far is Anam Kara. And that okay. translates to soul friend. And it's a really, okay. really beautiful, beautiful book. I'm going to reach out to you to send me a link to that. Okay. I will never remember with Lime Brain, but now I'm like very intrigued. Totally. Yeah. I'll read it before we have dinner. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was so lovely. And, and thank you, Matt, for allowing me to join you guys today to co-host. I feel like this was totally meant to be. Um, I always love meeting other people in the Lyme community, let alone that are also into spirituality. So this was just like such a breath of fresh air. I can't even tell you. Yay. Thank you. I appreciate you both so much and the work that you're doing in the world. And I can't wait to continue to follow along and hear other people's stories as well I think it's it's definitely helpful for me and inspiring for me to hear those stories and it sounds like the one last night too was really great so I can't wait for that to come out oh yeah you would if you um haven't ever talked to Trish Baden you should reach out to her she's a good one she's an interesting one thank you for listening to our TIG Bootcamp interview with our guest Nora Claire to our listeners we have a call to action first if you'd like to learn more about Nora please visit her on Instagram at Nora Claire, N-O-R-A-C-L-A-I-I-R-E. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Byte blueprint that has been inspired by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view our blueprint. Please note, we appreciate any input or improvements you'd like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on social media, or even on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. As always, thank you for listening.